everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. For those of you who are uh, parents or teachers or uncles and aunties, um, even those who maybe work with kids and tiny treasures, you will have no doubt experienced kids bringing you um, a book and saying this all familiar phrase, read it again. Read it again. And, and if you're like me when I was, you know, a, a dad of that age, I was like, man, if I have to read about the princess and the potty or the very hungry caterpillar or say goodnight moon again, like I'm going to have a very bad, terrible, horrible, no good day, you know. But it tells you just how wired our, our brains are for story. And, 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 you know, we like to hear sometimes the same story because our, our brains are wired that way. And it, it's, it's no wonder then that Jesus boiled down such profound wisdom um, and deep theological teachings into simple, relatable stories. And there's, there's power in a good story. And Jesus knew it. He knew his audience uh, people could relate to these stories, you know. Um, there was a man who had two sons, and there was an older responsible one and a younger party animal. Or uh, there was a woman who lost an expensive coin in her house. Or there was a farmer, and he was scattering out seeds. Um, there was a guy out walking in a field, and he stumbles upon a treasure. Super, super intriguing. And some of those stories had twists and some had unusual endings that maybe didn't feel complete or they didn't always wrap up in a nice, tidy way. And, and I love how those very specific, I'll call them micro stories about shrewd managers or yeast or mustard seeds or feisty widows, they, they all pointed to the macro story, the grand story of the gospel and God. And you know, every one of you, every person in this room has a story. And maybe today you would come to the beautiful conclusion that your micro story fits into God's greater universal timeless good news story and in the same way that Jesus' stories connect to the deepest questions and, and, and meaning of life you might be able to say you know I, I had been a prodigal too but God is actually running down the road to meet me or, or I've been an older brother, joyless, legalistic, um, despising the grace shown to others. 
or um, did the gospel fall on rocky ground in my heart? Is it a seed that's been choked out by the worries of the world? Your personal story might even be that aha moment for somebody else. Did you ever think about that? Suppose, suppose you are in a relationship, a coworker, a neighbor, uh, a friend, a family member. And the more you interact, the more honest, the more vulnerable you, you become with each other. And they, they know enough about you to know that there is some faith element. There's some sort of church history at work here. And one day they, they just up and ask you, what, why you seem so committed to God? Uh, why is this so important to you? Um, does it make a real world difference in your life? So how do you answer that question? Do you even have a response in mind right now? Um, not to put too fine a point on it, but this is a potentially defining moment for this person who has dropped this opportunity in your lap. And, and now a lot of living has gone on leading up to this. They've watched you. Uh, you've lived a life of integrity, hopefully. You, you've dropped seeds of hope in conversation. You've, you've earned the right to speak into their life. And now they're approaching you about your faith. What, why, why are you different? What, why is this God thing so important to you? What do you say? Well, hold on a sec. I'm just going to call my pastor. You should really talk to him. Or um, I've got a great book you should read. I'll get that to you. Have, you. have you watched The Chosen on YouTube? It's, just watch that. It'll answer all your questions. Like when people living far from God throw open this door and ask you sincere questions about your faith, that is precisely the wrong time to freeze up. Uh, to not be prepared, to, to defer that answer to someone else. And that sounds like a lot of pressure, and maybe it is, but, but here's the good news. You don't need a theology degree. You don't need to know the Alliance Fourfold Gospel. You don't need to know the Four Spiritual Laws or Romans Road or a plethora of scripture that you just sort of like machine gun at people um, before they can even catch their breath. What they are asking for, whether they put it in these words or not, they're asking for your story. And, and what impact Jesus has had on your life. I'd like to prepare you today um, for this very plausible scenario of being ready. Here's what Peter says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, here's the meanest thing I'm going to say all year, I hope. Um, some people, when given a chance to tell their story or some aspect of their story, it's so poorly delivered, it, it might just make you want to convert to paganism just on principle alone. Is that too harsh? 
oh, maybe we, maybe we need to get a little harsh this morning, all of us. This, this is bigger than life and death stakes. Folks, this is eternal life and death stakes. And can I tell you some classic things that I've observed that, that could just derail your intrinsically beautiful story? It's not that your story is boring or, or, or convoluted or uninspiring. It's that often we don't communicate the story well. We don't know how to seize the opportunities to connect our personal story to the gospel story. And uh, first off, if you've been a Christian of any length of time, you're going to have one or more of what I would call a, a weird God story, okay? Don't lead with your weird God story. <laughs> one night, God woke me up at exactly 3.33 a.m., and the very next day, I got a check in the mail for $333. <laughs> And it was exactly what I needed. One day, I picked up an angel hitchhiking, and he shared a biscuit with me that he called manna. And look, I am not, I am not disparaging those experiences. I believe in those experiences. I've had a few weird God stories. We don't need to lead with them. And we don't have to start our faith story with the strangest experience we've ever had with God. Now, since I've already offended half of you, let me twist the knife a bit here. And uh, don't be long-winded. People thought they were signing up for a three-minute story, and by the time they're done, like, they, they have to shave again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we can be painfully unobservant about reading the room, so to speak. You know, if a person you're telling a story to you know, if their eyes are darting all around the room or they've crossed their arms or letting out a deep sigh or if they're snoring, that's a bad... Uh, look, you don't have to give them the full meal deal uh, at once, you know? So that takes me through the elementary school years, and uh, I swear I'm getting to my point here. No, um, I was born at a young age. Let me begin at... No. In fact, if you would allow your listener to actually want to ask some follow-up questions, you know? It sounds crass, but there's a bit of a, sh a show business truism of, of leave them wanting more, you know? Now, um, I would take a long-winded but clear story over a short but incoherent story any day. And that's the next mistake we make uh, about about... Um, you know, when someone asks, why are you so serious about your faith? And you say, well, I'm glad you asked. And there's a half a dozen plot lines and 14 characters, and it looks like one of those detective bulletin boards, you know, with all the yarns connecting the streams of thought. And, and that book led me to that youth conference, which led to my uh, dead aunt speaking to me in the wind, which led me to this church. And I met this friend who... It's like trying to keep up with all, you know, 29 Marvel movies. Like, which one is Galgamesh again? And why is Drax the wrestler guy? And I thought Loki was dead, but he seems to be back now. And, like, that's what some of our stories are like. And, yes, I know I've, I've preached a message or two like that. 
And how dare you bring that up right now? <laughs> but I'm trying. And uh, in fact, Andy Stanley has a great book on communication. And, the, and really the thesis of it is, is keeping it to one thing. One thing. Um, here's one. And those of us who've been raised in the church really need to watch out for Christianese. Religious jargon. We have our own language as, as Christians. We, we can be unaware of it, that we're using a different language that people are not relating to. It's not that the words are wrong. It's just that they're like these insider words. It's like going to, you know, your spouse's Christmas work party and everyone has their own shop talk and in-jokes and shorthand. And you're like, if you didn't feel like an outsider before, you certainly do after they try to get in on those conversations. It's like, um, have you ever been saved? Uh, yeah, I think when I was nine, I was on the beach, and uh, the undertow was dragging me in, and my uncle heard me. No, 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 no. Redeemed. Have you been redeemed? You know, washed in the blood. Ugh, gross. Like the end of Carrie? No, 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 no. Like washed... White as snow. Wait, how will washing me in the blood get me white as snow? No, convicted. Have you ever been convicted? I've never been in trouble with the law before. No. No, maybe what you should do is do what I do. And each day before lunch, I have a time in my prayer closet. Wait, you, you pray in a closet at work? No, uh, it's in my car. You have a closet in your car? Um, look. What you need to do is find a good body to join. <laughs> Excuse me? No, I mean, committed. You need to be committed. You need to be committed. No, come to my church, because God is really moving. Where, well, where's, he, where's he going? No, I just mean that people are really on fire. What? Did they call 911? The last thing I would, I would caution you against in conversations about faith or your own story is this air of superiority and any sense of piousness or patronizing or assumptions even uh, are a real turnoff. Um, the roles start to look like, oh, I see. So you're the one who's got it all together and I'm the poor wretch that needs rescuing. And... Now, that person does need rescuing. We know that because we needed rescuing. All people need rescuing. But if there's any hint that you're the one doing the saving um, or that you've got it all figured out, it, it, man, that can just be a conversation killer. So if, if any of you haven't gone through this list, and I'm sure there's more I could think of, but if you have a a, a little knot in your stomach because you're like, ugh, I've done a, I've done a few of these. Um, is my witness ruined? Can I just tell you to take heart because um, your witness is not ruined, and I'll tell you why. If, if you get a gut check about some of these interactions and you realize you weren't like a, an awesome ambassador for the gospel, you know, you can apologize to that person. And you know what? That humility, that vulnerability, that apology, which is so 
uh, not the norm these days is so disarming, so countercultural. I'm, I'm not saying to do it as a ploy or a strategy. I'm just saying it might be your sincere apology that actually becomes the most winsome part of your interaction with them. And, and they may actually become more intrigued by your faith than ever. So with that said, and, and because there's so much that could be communicated about evangelism, specifically how to incorporate your story. Let me try to do the Andy Stanley thing and just leave you with one thing, one point, one thing to reflect on, one thing to practice. I believe the power of the gospel lies in the before and after. The power of the gospel lies in, I once was dead, but now I'm alive. Um, I once was a wretch. Don't come up yet, guys. Don't come up yet. Uh, I still got, uh, I still got just about an hour and a half more. And then I, I once was a wretch, but now I'm saved by amazing grace. The before and after. I, that was the old me. Here, here, here was the transformation of Jesus and meet the new me. Man, that's the gospel. See, when you tell your story, the critical contrast you can draw to, to someone is the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Um, this, this may be causing some of you to even ask right now, like, what difference has Jesus made in my life? Because maybe you still feel like you've messed up in a lot of ways. And maybe you need to ask someone who who loves you, what they have seen change in your life. Start reminding yourself of how God is changing you, sanctifying you, transforming you closer to the image of Christ. There's a lot of you uh, who might have a story like mine, which is me climbing up on my dad's knee as a five-year-old, hearing this term born again used all the time in a pastor's home, and, and me going... Daddy, how do you be born again? I mean, talk about lobbing him a nice, easy pitch over the plate, right? Um, but that means folks like us, raised in the church, don't have that kind of, well, teen challenge, dramatic testimony if I was saved at five years. Yeah, man, I was selling crack to other pre-kindergarten kids. It was... <laughs> Sometimes I'd have seven, eight juice boxes a day. I was out of control. No, some of you have great dramatic testimonies, clear delineations, you know, from the old life to the new. Dramatic healing from addiction, despair, hopelessness. Praise God. Praise God. And for some of us, with early conversions, we can still look for ways in which Jesus is making an ongoing difference in our lives, given peace in the midst of anxiety. Um, Jesus changed how I related to people. I, it's no longer out of anger anymore, but it's out of compassion. Um, how I selfishly live, but Jesus, uh, through him, I've learned how to live selflessly. Um, in another five years, you know what, Lord willing, I'll have another aspect of my life 
and testimony ready to share, something I have found victory over, a, a rough edge that has been sanded down, a discipline I never thought that I'd achieve, but through Christ's grace, I'm, I'm rock solid in this area. My story will keep getting better and better because his mercies are new every morning, because I'm being transformed into Christ's image from glory to glory. You think I'm a great guy now. Wait till you meet me 10 years from now. Uh, because God is doing a work in my life, and he's doing a work in your life. I'm not the same guy I was when I was 35. Praise God. I'm fatter. I'm balder. I'm slower. But I'm closer to the image of Christ than I ever was before. And the spirit of Christ in me uh, creates a story that's worth sharing. It's, it's that same way that someone who is excited about a CrossFit, excited about a new therapist, excited about a new diet or self-help book. And people want to know, oh, you're excited. What, what sort of difference has it made in your life? Well, uh, I used to be 300 pounds, and now I'm 190, and I feel great, and, and I feel disciplined. And tell me more about this diet, you know? Or... You used to be afraid to leave the house and you couldn't face the morning. And, but now, like, tell me more about this counselor. Uh, you used to have suicidal ideation and thought life was pointless. But now you have hope and purpose and meaning. Tell me more about this Jesus. Forgive me if it sounds formulaic or just oversimplified. But there is something powerful about your before and after story. I'd say it's the basis of every great novel, every great movie, the ability to overcome something, to fundamentally change, to become better, to, to put the past behind us and to right wrongs, to find redemption. In John chapter 9, Jesus comes across this blind man and he'd been sightless since birth. And he has him do some weird things. He uh, spits in the mud and puts that mud on his eyelids and then has him go wash it off. And when he did, he could see for the very first time. And his friends and neighbors and the religious leaders, they're trying to get this man to explain what happened. And they're looking for a, a theological answer. You know, like, how could this be? How could some healing come from, you know, someone born on the wrong side of the tracks. And I don't know if you remember what that man said. He was like, I, I don't know all about all that. I don't know what you want me to tell you. All I know is this. I was blind, and then I met Jesus, and now I can see. And what a story. I was blind. But now I can see. You can argue theology all day. You can argue worldviews and philosophy and an application of scientific principles. You can't argue someone's story. Okay? You don't have to believe it, but you can't argue it. I was blind. Then I met Jesus. And now I can see. Praise God. Or rewind chapter uh, 8 in, in John. You remember the story of the woman caught in adultery. We talked about it recently from this pulpit. And Jesus rescues her from humiliation. He rescues her from this trap that had been set for her. Rescued her from an imminent execution, really. 
And he refuses to condemn her, but instead forgives her and invites her to a new life, a new walk. And uh, I wonder what you think her story would be after that encounter. What was the story that this woman told the rest of her life? Well, one night I got up at exactly 3.33 a.m. and I picked up a hitchhike. No, she would tell a story about a hot, dusty day when a man named Jesus changed everything. She'd be like, I was at such a low point in my life and I was filled with such shame and I got caught in an incredibly embarrassing and immoral situation. And if the stones didn't kill me, I, I feel like the regret would have. And then I met Jesus. And he gave me a new start. And he didn't condemn me. He just showed me grace. I wonder how many times she, she told that story. It's a powerful story. You remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know that story? Luke 19 says that Zacchaeus was this wealthy tax collector, and everyone would have understood that that meant he was a corrupt loan shark, an exploiter of his own people. But after he had dinner with Jesus, everything changed. I, I, I can imagine this whole unwritten testament that maybe we'll get to read in heaven uh, that tracks people's lives after they had an encounter with Jesus. And we can only imagine sort of using our sanctified creativity. But what happened to Zacchaeus after his encounter? Well, we know a little bit. We know that after his dinner, Jesus um, uh, challenged Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus gave back every red penny to people he had extorted, and gave it back with interest. And then it says that he gave half his net worth to the poor. Now, uh, if someone had observed him, maybe down uh, at the tax collector watering hole up here, said to him, dude, what the heck is going on? I hear you got religion. Like, like when my own dad, as a young man, working as a butcher in the grocery business in Toronto, and no one could out-drink, out-fight, out-swear, definitely not out-dirty-joke, my old man. And then he had an encounter with Jesus. God filled him with the Holy Spirit, and it changed him. It made him want to change. And in no time, the talk in the supermarket was, you hear? You hear gone, you got religion? And, and I imagine that's what it was like for Zacchaeus. And they asked him, what's going on with you? Um, I'll tell you what, he'd say, I fell into a pattern where my whole life was, was about money. I had this grip of greed that was so strong and I was a slave to it. And it distorted every relationship I had. But then, then I met Jesus. And, and you know what? Jesus set me free from it. He gave me a bigger purpose. He taught me how to care, particularly for the poor. And I bet he told that story a hundred times. Not a complicated story, but it's compelling. And we have examples of the kind of story that, that Paul told in the New Testament. It sort of kind of sounds like this. I was so caught up in my 
self-righteousness. My whole deal was being judgmental, condemning, hating, even killing people who I thought didn't measure up. And I, I actually deceived myself into thinking I was doing the Lord's business. But then I met Jesus in a, in a blaze of light on that road to Damascus. And he showed me the full extent of my sin and the full extent of his love. And I finally learned about this life-changing, life-saving thing called grace. And I went from a self-righteous wretch to a free man saved by grace. What is your before and after story? Would you, would you commit to think about that with me? For some of you, it's like maybe your entire existence had been marked by fear. It's like a straitjacket that had been on you. And... and you were missing out on the freedom and peace that was intended for you. But then you met Jesus, the liberator, and suddenly confidence began to bloom in your heart. Or maybe some of you were, were like contestants in a lifelong popularity contest, and your identity was based entirely on wanting to impress people through, through image management. But then you met Christ, and now your efforts are focused on authenticity, on serving, on living in the freedom of no longer having to impress people. Some of you might say, before I met Christ, I had this, this plaguing sense of loneliness. I grew up in a broken and dysfunctional family. People I trusted left me, and my days were spent alone, and my nights felt isolated. But then I met Jesus, and I got this deep sense of being adopted in his family. And then he actually chose me. He pursued me. He wanted me. I know what it means to feel loved. I know what it means to never have to walk alone. What is it for you? What is it for you? I was striving, but now I'm grateful. I was, I was in despair, but now I'm hopeful. I, I was shame-filled, but now I'm set free. I, I was self-destructive, but now I'm self-disciplined. I, I want to challenge you with an assignment today. Oh, man, I didn't come to church for homework. Too bad, okay? We're going to do this. If your heart it is broken for people who don't know Jesus, people who will spend an eternity without him. If you would love the privilege of being used by God to plant seeds of faith, maybe even have the enormous honor of leading others to Christ, if, if you would like to take up the challenge of First Peter to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you, I'd like to challenge you to write out a before and after story in a hundred words or less. It's a story you can tell in about a minute and a half or less. And trust me, it's actually harder to be brief. It's harder to be succinct. Mark Twain famously said, you know, I meant to write you a short letter, 
but I ran out of time, so I wrote you a long one instead. It's true. It takes more thought, more work to edit yourself, to wordsmith your story, to get it down to the most salient points. But it's an exercise you won't regret. Um, it's an exercise that I believe will, will come back to you when the opportunity arises. You ever notice that opportunities happen to appear to those who are prepared for them, who are ready for them? I'll even make you this one-time offer if you call now. Uh, if you email me with your 100-word story, or maybe it's 200 words, and you're like, how do I cut this down to its essence? And I promise I'll give you prompt, candid feedback, you know? If, I have, if it takes two and a half screens to get to the point of your story, I'll tell you. If there's an air of superiority or judgment, I'll, I'll tell you. If it's full of Christian jargon or weird God stories, I'll, I'll let you know. And if you convey your story in a brief, focused, compelling way, I'll give you a scratch and sniff sticker and an A plus and tell you to go take on the world. You won't have a bigger cheerleader than me, okay? Your simple, straightforward before and after story of Christ's work in your life um, can have such a profound impact. It, it's worth thinking about. It's worth working on and refining. It's worth, it's worth falling on your knees every day and saying, God, is there an opportunity for me to share my story with, with someone I've known for years? Or maybe the barista down at my favorite coffee shop. Or maybe you would open doors and just give me the words to say, the part of the story that would most resonate with this person and give you the glory. Uh, you will be amazed at the power of your own story, the story that God is writing in each of you. This is my testimony from death to life, right? Before I was in sin, but after I met Jesus, I'm alive in Christ.